Welcome to the Lift Oneself podcast, Tiffany. I'm so thankful you're here with me. Thanks for having me. How is your heart doing? Oh, it's a good question to start with. My heart right now is um, it's in a good place, better than it was in the beginning of the year. I feel very um, passionate about everything that I'm doing at this moment. And it's interesting because I thought you had to have like a very clear vision in order for you to move forward. And I've realized that as long as whatever's in front of me, I put my whole heart into and I feel passionate about the path will continue to just continue to create itself. So that's where I'm at with my heart right now. I feel very full, but also just like uh, reinvigorated and passionate about what I'm working on at this moment. What can you thank COVID for? Oof, man, COVID. Um, I can thank COVID for a moment of silence, a moment to um, actually like reconnect with why I moved to Los Angeles in the first place. And um, and I think it was very clear all the places that, w- that I was in and wasn't in, um, what was beneficial and what wasn't beneficial, like what was helping me and what wasn't helping me. I think that's what I can thank COVID for, for some clarity. That's what it was. There we go. I can thank COVID for clarity. Some may not know, yet you used to work on the School of Greatness and you were part of the production team. And in October of 2020, you made the decision to leave. Can you uh, walk us through that decision and how did you know it was time to leave? Crazy, because... I actually made that decision a year before it happened. So in, but no one knows this, right? So uh, in November of 2019 was when um, I made the decision with the team that uh, I wouldn't continue as the producer. And, but I decided to stay to help transition the new person in like greatness, how the video production looks, how the style looks. It was my baby for four years up at, up until that point. And I didn't want to just, even give like a two weeks notice and leave. Like I wanted to help whoever was going to come in and support after me. So it was actually November of 2019 that the decision was made. And October of 2020 is when everything kind of was like, okay, you know, everyone is where they need to be. Everyone has what they need to have. And um, now it's time for me to go. And the original decision I think was, at some point, so Lewis, when I first met him and when we first had our interview and everything, he always said, like, the whole point here is that we're helping people, we're helping people follow their dreams. And for us individually, if we feel like we're not growing anymore, then we know we're not going to have fun anymore and it's not going to be a, a good place. And I had to sit down with myself. And when um, the contract renewal was coming up, I just had to ask, like, am I growing anymore? And at that point, I was the head of production, there was no one who had more video experience than me, no one who had more audio experience than me, more podcast experience than me. So everything I was learning, I'm learning on my own, but there's no one above me to tell me outside of, you know, the social media likes are great. The views are great, but on a production quality level, could this be on TV? Could this be in the movies? I really had no one higher than me in production to learn from. And that's where I realized that I had done everything I could vlogs, uh, travel with Lewis. We went, I mean, we, I think I did everything you could possibly do, uh, masterminds, um, courses, uh, I mean, uh, online, yeah, online courses. I mean, everything I think that people create in production I've done with him. So I got to a point where 
I felt like I was in a place that I needed to grow more. And I had done as much growing as I possibly could on that team. And I felt it, Lewis felt it. And I think we came to a really mutual decision that while it was hard to leave, it it was time for me to grow and and to try something different. Was that difficult to leave like a baby that you created that's still successful? So much because my identity felt very much wrapped up in that. Like I did have more clients than Lewis at the time. So it wasn't like his was the only one that I was feeding into, but his was the main I mean, you know, the most amount of time per week was what I was, I was contributing to a school of greatness. And yeah, I think a big part of that transition that I wasn't prepared for when I left was that, um, you know, it's like the great question that people ask in film and production, who's the true auteur of the film? Is it the director? Is it the actor? Is it the editor? Like who really makes the production? And Lewis is so creative and he's so smart. And he came up with a lot of the ideas that I helped produce, But when I left, it was like, well, which part of that production was me? (laughs) And which part of that production do I continue on to my other projects? So it was hard in a sense of like, I had so much of who I am and so much of how people know me and, you know, other opportunities have opened up because of being a part of that production. So letting that go and rediscovering who I am was probably the hardest part. And I'm still discovering it, but it's still... um, that was the the point I didn't realize I was going to go through mentally and emotionally was just, oh, like that's who I define myself as. Now, who am I really when I'm not at the school of greatness? How did you deal with the grief? Who I finally got therapy. Uh, I've been thinking about it for a long time. And, you know, I mean, living in Los Angeles in general is hard, keeping up with rent and different things. And, you know, the pandemic hits and I'm based on everything I did was in person, you know, and and now all these gigs are going away and figuring that part out. So since I moved out here seven, going on seven years ago, it's been ups and downs and ups and downs. And, you know, family has helped me mentally figure it out, running and finding different things to help me just, you know, mentally get strong. But the grief from that, I needed an outside source that I hadn't had before. And therapy was really, Oh, really, really helpful for someone who doesn't know me, who has doesn't know anything about me, no pretenses, who's not going to fluff anything, who's just going to like get to the core and ask these questions like you're asking, you know, like uh, one of the things my therapist asked me was like, when, you know, because there was something that happened right after greatness. Uh, it was a really big contract. I thought it was going to be like my big moment, you know, especially leaving greatness immediately and getting this and it didn't work out. And the first thing the therapist asked me was, um, when are you going to trust yourself again? And I just broke down crying and all the tears and I was like, oh gosh, I don't know. You know, it was, it was a lot. So how I dealt with that grief was reaching out for help in a way I hadn't before. And um, it's been great. I'm still in therapy. I feel very happy and like the grief isn't there anymore, but be having someone in my back corner, that's just able to help me even when I'm happy and to just be able to express my feelings and say things without having to, you know, if you tell your mom something, you're, well, if I tell my mom something, I'm, I don't want to make her worry or whatever. So um, yeah, therapy was huge to get over that grief that I was feeling. Yeah. A lot of people don't realize when we leave something, there may be excitement of going into something great and new, yet there is a loss of 
things that you were connected to that was part of your identity. And some people really attach grief to a person that passed away or an animal. They don't realize, you know, we deal with grief constantly and that can be a loss of a job or a home or all these different things. And it's an, it's an emotion. It's a feeling of loss and also going into the unknown of something new and they're, they're intertwined. It's not one or the other. They're, they're two sides of the same coin. So going Absolutely. into something new means there's a grief. Yeah. And the fact that I chose to leave, like, you know, it wasn't like, you know, it was like, did I make the right decision and all the different things? And, you know, being at home by myself was just like, okay, now I have so much time to think to myself. And so I think that was a problem was just the combination of all the things at once and having so much alone time to think about it. So, yeah. And, and yeah, I think, part of what you're saying, like the grief of crying, like every therapy session I was crying and it felt good to release. Cause I'm, like I said, I think I had to do so much to survive in Los Angeles. So I can put on a shield. I can put on, you know, I can do a lot of things to protect myself and protect my feelings and get through what I need to get through. And then to have a space that I could just let it all out over and over and over again, it felt really good to, to grieve in that kind of way. And to, to bring that up too, I actually lost an aunt uh, at the same time. So it was like a bunch of stuff piled up, uh, that just was just, there was no, I don't, I mean, I don't know how I would have gotten through that (laughs) without some kind of outside support to just help me make sense of everything. Yeah, it's huge. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, a lot of people find it challenging to share the intimate part of our vulnerability and the sensitivity of fear. Because in a world where everybody's telling everybody, don't fear, you know, run away from fear. And it's like, no, you need to lean into the fear and feel the sensitivity. There's some good parts of fear. You know, our nervous system is here to keep us alive. It's the one function. So that's always in the background. And you have to be aware of that sensitivity. Yet when we armor up, yes, in the world, we have to put our defense mechanisms and go out. Yet it's being connected to that sensitivity. We need to create spaces. And being as busy as you were with the School of Greatness, it doesn't really give time. I remember seeing one of your statuses saying, you know, I I was around so many thought leaders, so many self-help, all these things. And it's great to hear this stuff. Yet, when am I applying it directly? The things that they're saying, how am I applying it in my direct experiences? It's all great hearing all this and you get kind of a, a... a little bit of an energy, not a little bit, you get a high from it, but it doesn't last. And the reason why it doesn't last is because you're just listening to other people's experiences of it. You're not really applying the direct experience of it. That's beautiful. I'm glad you brought that up because that is one of the hardest parts working there was um, you hearing everyone say, you know, you got to do the unthinkable, go after this. It's like constantly hearing how these people went against the green. And I know that everything I'm creating is helping other people hear it. But yes, the time to apply it for myself was pretty difficult (laughs) because all I'm doing is creating it for other people. And so it was like a weird, it was great to hear. And now it's like, I don't know, I can quote so many people, you know, over 500 interviews, I can quote so many things and so many moments will come up at different parts of my life. So I'm grateful to have experienced that. But yes, it was this weird in between of feeling like very motivated, but then 
you know, not really having the space to create what I was learning every day outside of what I could do individually. I did like all the therapists that were on that we had, all the um, nutritionists that we had on. I mean, there were so many people that I was able to apply who I was personally, like a lot of the tips that they had. Um, So growing and learning as a person was really good. Uh, Business-wise and creatively, that's where it was like, oof, I got to kind of wait until it's my moment. But thank you for bringing that up. That's, That's a good point i think it's it's interesting when you're in the i think it's in the uh e-myth um that book that talks about you know the myth of being an entrepreneur a lot of people think entrepreneurs work in their business but entrepreneurs are supposed to work on their business they have to be the visionary they have to want they have to have time and space to think creatively on how to grow their business but if they're in it every day nine to five nine to nine there's no space to to really grow and to see something beyond what you're working on day after day after day I'm going to have you do a reflection. So I'm going to ask you to think of those 500 interviews that you got to sit in. Okay. And from those five years, from those 500 interviews or plus, what are the three guests that inspired you that impacted you and why? Three guests, definitely. um, uh, Leslie Odom jr. Uh, He did a Hamilton he was huge. I keep getting him confused with Lamar Odom, the basketball player. So I keep <laughs> I saying it wrong, but it's Leslie Odom. I, I quote his piece of his podcast all the time because he got a call. He was working in LA. His his very first um, gig was rent. He So as soon as he got here, he was successful. And then nothing really came after that. And this moment from the podcast, I'll never forget. He He's six years in Los Angeles nothing was really happening. He was going to go apply to be a hotel manager um, because he was just like, you know, this is it. So he calls his agent and he lets him know what he's about to do. And his agent says, you can do that. You can quit. You can go, you know, apply to, for this regular job, but I would really love for you to try first. And Leslie was like, what do you mean try first? Like I've been out here six years. I've been working hard. And his manager was like, well, when people call you, you show up and you go 110% and you're amazing. But the phone didn't ring today. What did you do? Did you practice your craft? Did you go to acting classes? Did you, you know, reach out to other people? Did you build relationships? And I could even feel the chills thinking about it. I remember like my whole body reacted to being in that room because it was just, it was a wake up call for me. Like, you know, I keep waiting. And I think all of us do that. You wait for some big thing to happen. That's like the lottery, right? Going and buying the lottery ticket, waiting for your big break. But it's so much more of you putting the effort in, you reaching out to people, you building relationships, you posting on Instagram or Twitter, whatever, let people know you're working. And when the phone doesn't ring, what did I do today? I think about that all the time. When when I don't have a gig today, if I'm not working today, what am I doing to work towards my dream, my goal? So that was one of the biggest ones for me that's still like I think about all the time. Um, number two, number three, uh, Tony Robbins Jet. That was like February of 2016. I was only like a month into working on the School of Greatness. So I was super new trying to figure out how to even film a podcast in the studio. But then we had to go on Tony Robbins Jet and we had to set up all the equipment and then break it all down really quickly. And um, that one really stood out to me because I did more than I thought I could 
with all the tension and it wasn't tension in a bad way, but I had, I had to be so rushed and I had light kits, three cameras, mics, all the stuff to do, but I still pulled it off. And it's still one of the most watched interviews and no one would know how much I struggled <laughs> to get that interview done. But that one reminds me of how great I am that I don't, that I, when I kind of like, um, downplay <laughs> what I can't, what I am capable of. Uh, and the third one would be Chris Gillibo. So Chris Gillibo um, wrote this book called The Art of Nonconformity. And that was the first self-improvement book I read at my first production job in Florida when I was four months into my production job feeling like something wasn't right. You know, I graduated college. I have my bachelor's degree. I'm in production. I'm working hard. And I technically have everything I wanted. I have the production job, but something fell off. And I read The Art of Nonconformity and was like, oh, I need to move to Los Angeles. It led to me reading The Alchemist and all these different motivational books that had me see beyond what was right in front of me. And um, getting to meet him on the School of Greatness two years later or something, I think two years after I had read that book and made the move to Los Angeles was the biggest full circle moment ever. Um, and we ended up actually interviewing him three times. And then when he found out that I run, he's also a runner. And so now we're actually connected. And um, that was really cool for him to trust me with his phone number and everything and to be able to be friends with the guy who inspired me to change my life three years ago by reading his book. That was probably one of the most uh, still one of the most interesting moments when I can kind of just text him and say, Hey, how's everything going? And thanking him all the time for just creating that book. But the art of nonconformity was one of the moments that really changed me. So meeting him in the podcast was, I'll never forget that moment ever. So those are the three big, big moments and reasons why. like to just come back uh, and highlight the trust in yourself. You read that book and met that person and you created a network. So trust yourself, Tiff. Thank you. I will. I'm working on it. I appreciate the reminder. And I mean, I think that's great for your audience to hear, you know, it's like, we're doing really cool things, but you know, all the people I've met, they still struggle. They still struggle with relationships. They struggle with trusting themselves. They struggle with insecurities. And I think every day, trusting yourself, but then also reaching out to people when you need help and knowing that you don't have to be your own island or you don't have to figure it all out by yourself. The whole lone wolf mentality, I think, only gets you to a certain point. But we need each other. We need people. You need to be on a podcast so that someone can remind you to trust yourself. Like we all need these moments. So thank you. I receive it. Trusting myself. And I hope you do the same today, the rest of this week, the rest of this year. But just constantly reminding yourself to just trust that you have everything that you need and you are lacking nothing. Yeah. I want to let the listeners know, too, that before the School of Greatness, you also created another Trust Yourself by being in the WNBA. Can you tell Yeah, Can you tell the listeners about that one? That it's funny. I just I'm just going to put a pot. It's funny when we're in our story, we're kind of in survival mode and we're creating all these things. But then we don't take the time to really reflect of appreciating and seeing the um, 
things that we finally achieved and stuff like that, because it's like, oh, the next thing, the next thing. And then if we're not doing that, we don't know the trust that we're building with ourselves. We tend to focus more on the disappointments and the things that we haven't done rather than really appreciating the things that have come to fruition to see the tenacity of integrity of process. And I think also in the trust, uh, I went to uh, a spa with my friend on Saturday and yeah, it was a thermal cycle. So it was, yeah, beautiful. And we were discussing how the word patience is used inaccurately. Mm. A lot of times people are using the word patience as waiting and wishing where patience is an active action. You have to do something to be able to create something. It's not sitting patiently and being passive, wishfully thinking something's going to come to fruition. You have to be in the consistency of something of a process. So patience is a part of a process. So did you watch my stories this morning? No, I didn't. I ran this morning and I ran four months this morning. And that was the only thing I put was that all I could think of today was patience. That's the only word that's coming to me right now is patience, patience, patience. So that's literally all over my stories this morning. It just says, be patient with yourself, patience, patience. So it's so cool that you're defining that word for me right now um, as I'm sitting in it. Because, yeah, the run didn't go the way I wanted it to. But I know the more that I run, the more that I you know work things out, the better it's going to get every time. So. So that's pretty cool. That's that's awesome that that's what you're discussing. And yeah, that was the only thing I could that was the word for this for today and for the week is just patience. And knowing that it's an active, it's an active right. thing. And it's also a it's 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 challenging. It's really challenging when especially when you want to get, you know, we're conditioned to get things perfect. And we can be really harsh on ourselves when we're not achieving the way or it's not our impulsivity. Because that's the thing with patience, impulsivity can over trumpet. And it's like, no, 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 wait. It, it still needs that process to go through. And there's things to learn and everything there is learning. Um, so, and I'm I, thank you for saying that because the things that I work within myself is that I know I'm a vessel. And when I connect more into that one self that we're all connected, I, I speak into whatever that person needs as well as myself. And so it just makes the world even more connected within us that we're like, wait, did you hear? Like, how did you? But it's recognizing we're all in frequency. We're all in connection if we're open to receive the messages that we need and also give to other people. It's all about giving and receiving. It's always great to be in the space of giving, yet we have to be in the space of receiving and acknowledging, like you said, when we need help to lean on mentors, lean on community, uh, Yet this title of independent is, I understand it for the autonomy because you do, you can, you cannot have anybody else do your pushups. You have to do them to reap the benefits. (laughs) So a little bit of those 500 interviews you're seeing, you're seeing everybody doing their pushups. It's like, oh, it's inspiring. Yet you're not getting the true benefit of it because you have to do your own pushups. And so that becomes confusing. Yet then it's like, like you said, I knew that I didn't have a mentor to pull me, stretch out my potential. Like it was only me against me. And you need that kind of sandpaper from somebody else to bring that friction to see there's other layers in you, to see other reflections. So really like amazing self-awareness 
and to Thank sit you. with that. That's huge. Not many people would have that. that at your age too. Like it's like I'm I'm, I'm like damn if I would have had all this when I was your age like my life would be a little different yet it's exactly the way it needs to be right it's exactly where it needs to be I mean that's what I like about it it's like self-awareness I think that's that's the that's my goal so when you say you know being patient with yourself it's an active it's 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 a it's an adverb it's like it's active you're moving it and all that stuff but like um it's everything. It's like when I do feel down, when I go through the grief, when I go through the high, when I go through the low, recognizing where it's coming from, having feedback is really important, but that's what I like. So how I can sort of keep moving forward when things don't feel good or when things, whatever, it's just asking myself like, okay, what am I learning right now about me? What's the feedback that I'm getting? What's coming up for me right now? What am I feeling? Like, you know, when you ask me how my heart feels, it's like, what am I feeling in my body and why? Just asking myself these questions can sometimes be a little stressful, but it's helps me with that self-awareness so I can kind of calm down. It's just information. It's just helping me understand myself a little bit better. Um, and that's, that's like, hopefully if anyone hears anything in this podcast and you're like, what do I take away from this? Like giving yourself that, that space to learn more about who you are so that you can love yourself in the highs and in the lows and understand that happiness is only created by what we create internally, right? Exterior things are great. They're awesome. But like, I can be really happy today, even if I didn't have, you know, the best run, I can be really happy today. Even if after we're done with this podcast, I'm like, I can't create anymore. <laughs> like, it's just time for me to lay out on the couch. It's that kind of day. It's, it's the self-awareness and the information. And I know a lot of people, I think, including yourself or, you know, helping people understand them, you know, the idea of rest and, and, and letting yourself not be so hustle, hustle, hustle all the time. And it's hard to generally give that information because everyone is so different. Knowing if you're resting right now or being super, you know, lazy and procrastinating, how would anyone know but you? <laughs> like you have to kind of sit and get to know yourself a little bit more. So I appreciate the compliment. I receive it. I think it's, it, to me, it really is just, sometimes it's a good thing, but you know, sometimes it can hurt me too. But overall, I'm always just asking myself, why am I feeling this way? What's coming up for me? And the self-awareness is what I try to focus on outside of the feelings and the emotional things that can kind of keep me in the same place. Does that make sense? Of course it does. What I always give the insight to people is life is about pain. If you want to grow, you're going to experience pain. What we forget is that we have the capacity to experience pain. We close off thinking we cannot go through it when it, and then that starts to build the suffering because you're resisting what needs to grow. Yet it's like, wait, I have to open up the awareness that I have the capacity to expand. Yes. And the pain is there for whatever the challenge is. And it, it's, it's to be used. It doesn't feel good. Ask any woman that has gone through labor pains. They're like, no good can come of this. Like, what are you talking about? Yet it, it's with everything in life. And we we can fall asleep to that whenever pain gets in, like ignited in us. And it's like, wait a minute. And it's like, wait, 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 wait. How, I got to remember I have the capacity. And like you said, it's, we are multidimensional of, like I remind people, we're feeling bodies that think. So you have mm. to be in touch of what you're feeling and it's going to be a whole dynamic. You've, you've mentioned happiness a lot of times. And I think that's what 
has people go into really highs and lows because happiness for me is getting your way. And you're not Mm. always going to get your way in life. Yet you can have joy. You can have joy when, you know, when your aunt passed away, deep sadness, deep grief, yet there's a joy that I was blessed with this person in my experience. And I still get to carry her forward is to explain that to people. It's like, what? And it's like, yeah, you can have, it's not end or right. People don't realize that you can be more than one thing at the same time. Yeah. (laughs) And then you might look a little neurotic or (laughs) maniac yet. It's like, yeah, this is exactly how you're supposed to be a human. You're supposed to feel, you're supposed to go up in the ebb and flows of things. And uh, when you haven't felt for a very long time, it's a process to go through. So I thank you for taking the steps to go see a therapist to make, because what the whole thing about therapy is not for somebody to tell you, it's that they're helping you to make sense of it for yourself. Right. It's a reflection. It's like a mirror. She never tells me anything. She just asks me questions. (laughs) That's literally all it is. Just asking questions over and over again. And it, you know, the perfectionist, you know, in me that just wants to like, I I sometimes come prepared. Like I can't wait to tell exact everything that went right. And then she'll ask me that one question that like, I wasn't prepared for like, Oh, she can see past like me just trying to put on this facade. I think there was an interview, uh, Margaret Rutherford, Dr. Margaret Rutherford, we had on the school of greatness. She calls it, um, she has a book called perfectly hidden depression. And it's specifically made for people who, um, were like A students in high school were really good at showing up all the time and showing this, uh, you know, this level of everything is okay and really good at masking things. And I love that book and I love that interview that we did with her because everything she was saying was like, oh yeah, I can I can put on a show when it's time to put on a show, you know, this, this sense of protection and everything. But I think that it's interesting when I meet new people who are like you who can see past sometimes the facade and the surface and things and ask those questions um and then just allow me to just open up and be real (laughs) you know but there's this pattern of wanting to to show up a certain way but yeah I love that she just she just asks me questions and um and yeah, and there's no judgment. There's no, you know, there's no right answer. And I'm, you know, that's one of my philosophies I try to remember. Like, there's no right or wrong in anything. But I always want to be right about something. It's that power struggle. It's that power. Like, yeah, I got to, yeah, Trump won. It's a competitive two part. Right. We're the, all the in competition. competition. Right. Yeah. yeah. To come back to the WNBA. So that was 2015. Can you walk people through that experience and how that felt? Yes. So, I mean, back in 2005, when I was in high school, uh, (laughs) I wanted to, um, I played on the girls basketball team and I was, you know, I grew up playing basketball with my brothers and my dad. And it just was something that was, it bonded us. it, It made us really happy, but I had this weird dream of playing in the WNBA, even though I sat on the bench most of the time in high school, like I really was not good. I showed up for practice. I did everything I needed to do, but I just, uh, the way the coach described it, the way the team described it, I just wasn't aggressive enough to like attack the hoop to, you know, play aggressively or whatever. Like they always, I didn't like it because they always called me scared, you know? So it was like a very weird high school experience of someone constantly telling you that you're afraid all the time. Um, but, uh, you know, like I said, I had my, I moved to college, all that stuff, fast forwarding past that, moved to Los Angeles. 
And um, I moved here with my cousin and she became the vice president of the Los Angeles Sparks out here in the WNBA. And when I first moved out here, I just did everything I possibly could. I worked a lot of different gigs. I did a lot of different things. Um, and one day she came home with some videos she shot on her phone and said, hey, I have this pitch I want to make to my boss. Can you edit these and just kind of make it look a little bit nicer so that she can see what I'm trying to do? I got nothing to do. Um, I spent five hours downloading a bunch of B-roll from YouTube that I could find on the WNBA Sparks, uh, LA Sparks, and um, put together just like these, as much as I could, these nice looking videos with the phone footage. And her boss, Christine Simmons, uh, told her the next day, like, hey, let's let's bring this in and actually shoot this. So I came in and filmed for them for the first time. And it was so cool to be in their office and, and to... Uh, to, you know, talk to some of the sales representatives there and everything. And that was it. Like, it was just a one-time gig. I didn't really think too much of it. I kept doing things, but then, you know, they kept coming up with ideas. And I talked to my cousin about some of the marketing ideas she had, and we just kept coming up with reasons to film it, to interview different women, to come up, you know, people in Los Angeles and stuff. And it ended up working out that um, I kind of interned with them for four months just doing a lot of free work for their marketing and social media. And then when it came down to the season, they hired me to be the uh, kind of like the photographer and videographer for their group sales and marketing. And it was another full circle moment of like, you know, as soon as I told my mom that I got the contract, I sent her a picture with me and the LA Sparks logo in the background. She immediately sends me a photo that we had made when I was 16 on a vision board that says I'll play in the WNBA um, on a big basketball, a bunch of stuff about basketball and everything. And so she had that ready to go <laughs> and sent that over to me that, you know, was something that when we first made, we had never made vision boards before, but at 16, my mom just had us all do it, cut out pictures in the magazine. And she had that just ready to go and showed me that I had, already said it was going to happen and I had, you know, made it happen. And it was, it's still something that's sort of hard to believe, you know, cause like I said, high school was hard because I felt like not only did I not feel good enough to the team, but it was just this constant reinforcement that I wasn't good enough. And to have my name on this badge that said WNBA to have been putting out all these campaigns and, you know, helping start with the, we are women campaign featuring all these women around Los Angeles County. And my name is on all of it. You know, it was just so interesting um, to see that come to pass and to sort of help me let go of all those things that had been sort of reinforced in me about not being good enough. And yeah, kind of proving to other people, but really proving to myself, like you said, trusting myself that I could do these things and it wasn't the way I thought it was going to happen, but it still happened anyway. How did you leave there? What made you leave there? The W MBA? Yeah. Well, it was more so contracted. So okay. everything I really, I mean, it's been seven years. I have not been an employee anywhere oh, since nice. I've been out in Los Angeles. Everything has been, um, as, as a freelancer. So once the season was over, it was crazy because I was trying to renew my contract at the same time that someone emailed me that Lewis house was uh, needed a full-time videographer. So the contract to, for the next season, I was waiting and it, it was just taking some time. I put that in for him and got signed with him. And it just worked out that I was able to, to stop now start working with the school of greatness. So I went straight from the WNBA to Lewis house. Two big highs. Kind of high Two very, very big highs. And it didn't really stop 
from there. That was the crazy thing, you know, moving to LA with no possible idea of what was going to happen, but it really, I'm very grateful. I met really kind people who put me into a lot of different things. Like Debbie Allen, I was a part of a a commercial. I did a commercial with her where she directed it, Debbie Allen and like a Michelle Williams music video. And, you know, it was just different things that ended up happening. A UCLA documentary, like people would just kind of bring me in to a lot of fun things. And, um, that's what we say when you talk about doing things yourself. Like I couldn't get myself these gigs. So I, I had to show up and be here and be in Los Angeles. But after that, it was going to be the kindness of others taking a chance on me and letting me come and help. And um, yeah, so it's, it's been a bit of a roller coaster, but a lot of people have taken chances on me and just let me come and create and it's worked out and trusting myself too, that I do have the kindness and the skill set to be able to keep up when, even when things pop up that I didn't know how to do, like, I didn't know how to film a three camera interview when uh, I got hired for the school of greatness, but I figured it out. And my early interviews are like hard for me to watch, but you know, now it's, you know, you look at any of the new interviews, beautiful set, beautiful lighting, all the things that we grew into. Um, Yeah. It's, it's been, a lot of highs. And um, I think that was the other, other part of grief in a weird way was that I was only going up. And then when I took a, I just kind of was like, I'm just going to change everything. You know, it's, if anything, my schedule got a lot more free mm-hmm. <laughs> as a freelancer. And I have a lot more time to actually take breaks and do different things. So it's, it's weird because I'm still adjusting to the fact that I don't have to be so busy to be successful, um, that I can be working and creating and growing and working on the vision of what I want to create without having to necessarily clock in 12, 14 hours every day. Why filmmaking? It's always been mine. I don't, uh, you know, I, my family's very musical. We grew up singing in different churches. We were like a little family band. Um, And that was my earliest experience of just creativity and kind of like no limits. My mom is just very, very creative and she let us be as creative as possible. I think I just, I don't know if it was like little and just wanted to be a little bit different. So the camera just seemed to be what called to me. My earliest memory of seeing, just like seeing a guy with a camera leaning over and just wanting a camera. I don't know if it was on TV or a photograph or anything, but Overall, I'm happy to have grown up in a very performance-based family because there was always something to film. There was always something to create. And yeah, it was just always my thing. Um, Even now, you know, I talked about my aunt's funeral. Unfortunately, I had two aunts pass in in four months. It it was really um, just interesting as our family dynamic because I grew up in, you know, not a lot of people pass and now people are passing. So it's... uh, a new a new dynamic for our whole family but right now I'm creating the videos with photo you know um the videos that they're playing at the funerals and everything it's it's weird because it's like everyone knows to call me because I'm the person in the family that does it but it feels so good because that's my contribution to them and and giving it to their life and I can send it out to everyone in the family and I think video just has a way of connecting us audio does too. So does the written form, but there's just visually being able to see the person that you love, hear them say something, you know, recordings and different things. I just, I love that medium. I love communicating that way. I love connecting people in that way. So why I picked up a camera when I was really little, I can't really remember what was the, you know, the most initial spark, but I know that it's always been my favorite way to communicate with people. And even when I'm by myself, 
And I know people do this, but like, I can't quite process something. I'll just put out a camera and just start recording and talking to myself (laughs) into my camera. And who knows if anyone's ever going to see any of these just like personal journals, but sometimes it just, it helps me even just work things out to just be able to pull out a camera and a mic and and talk to it. So yeah, it's, it's always going to be my number one form of communicating (laughs) with people and expressing love and, and connection through. What is it about storytelling that captivates you? I, I think it's an interesting challenge to be able to communicate how you feel to someone else through video in particular. Like I think about the School of Greatness and all the videos that I create. I think about the campaigns that I helped the WNBA create. It's like, how do I know that if I shoot it in this kind of way and have the person start off with these three words that that's what's going to get millions of views or going to get enough people to connect with it and to to want them to either change something about themselves, come and support the WNBA and watch a game or to stop eating um, uh, food. You know, Jesse Itzler, sorry, it's a weird transition, but Jesse Itzler was one of my first interviews. He's a billionaire. He's own, you know, he owns the Toronto Raptors, I think, coconut water, all this different stuff. He was one of the first interviews and he said he doesn't eat anything before 12 o'clock. He feels a lot more energy and different things when he's sort of like fast during the day. And now I do that. Like I don't need anything before noon, all this different stuff. But just because that connected with me, is that going to connect with millions of people, right? Like trying to find the things that people have in common that will make them want to move and do things differently or to grow or to learn. I don't know. Storytelling is just fascinating to me because there's some beautiful documentaries that no one's watched because it didn't catch enough people's attention to like go crazy. And then there's some things that people shot on an iPhone without any fancy equipment that was enough to get enough people to watch that had millions of views and help people, you know, soar in their career. So I like storytelling. I think it's so complicated and weird and fun and artistic and beautiful. And I think that there really is more than one definition to it. Um, But if I can tell a story over and over again, that helps connect humans, that can help people see themselves in somebody else that may not have grown up the same way they have, may um, uh, identify in a different way than they do, may live across the world and they thought, you know, places that they never visited. That's really my goal. Like I want to use storytelling to connect humanity so that we can see more of ourselves in each other. And hopefully (laughs) that creates more love in the world and a little less hate and war and different things because, we can just see the other person and we don't see so much the difference, but we see the connection. Thank you for making it all the way to the end. I appreciate you and your time. Look out for episode two, where me and Tiff talk about well-being, boundaries, and much more. If you found anything that was relevant, or perhaps there's somebody that you think can benefit from this podcast, please share it out. Help grow the community. Help grow Lift Oneself. You can find more information on our website at www.liftoneself.com. Until next time, be sure to be kind and soft with yourself. You matter. <laughs>